It truly is a privilege to be with you once again as we initiate our fifth session regarding how to be the real you. Glory to God. I'm sure you've noticed it with every session we're just hitting a crescendo that and I'll tell you, uh, our last session, I mean, it was, it was very strong. I, I, I realize it. But beloved, if this is real, if you really are uh, uh, literally a, a child of the living God, if you really are who the Bible says you are, uh, honestly, it, it, it's, it's so amazing, so exceedingly and abundantly amazing that it, it should cause us to be filled with joy exponentially on a daily basis. Now you might say, but there's so many trials and there's challenges. I, I, I'm certainly not negating the reality of challenges in this life. But I'm here to tell you this. <clears throat> As we enter into who we are, boy, I'll tell you what. We worship Jesus for making us who we are. And of course, in Him, we live and have our being. Mm, it just, <coughs> excuse me. It causes us to say, you know what? There's no one, there's no thing, no demon in hell that can keep me from entering into the glory of being made in God, God's image. Literally being a child of the living God. I, I, I tell you, you can sense my excitement already. Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to summarize a little bit and we're going to accentuate what we've already shared. Now, this subtitle is Cultivating and fighting for your identity, cultivating your identity in Christ and fighting for it militantly. And because we need to fight for it because the devil, you see, he'll do everything he can to keep you from getting saved. <clears throat> but once you get saved, he'll do everything he can to steal your identity, to minimize your identity, to cause you to walk in a way that's not much different than when you, before you were saved. Jesus is a God who wants to cultivate your identity and place in you a militancy that you fight for your identity and you don't let anybody take your birthright from you. All right, I know that's quite an introduction, but I'll tell you what, we're going to enter into quite a session right now. All right, in summary, <clears throat> You are who the Word says you are. I'm going to say that again. You are who the Word of God says you are. I'll be honest with you. So many Christians, they really don't read the Word of God that much. And accordingly, they're not convinced of their identity because they may have looked in the mirror once or twice. But as the Bible says in James chapter 1, you have to look into the mirror of the Word continually. Uh, it really, it, it's a key. Glory to God. I'll never forget, I was doing a revival service in central Pennsylvania. And we had a good service, and I went back. Uh, I was staying in the house of the pastor and his wife. <clears throat> and when I went to bed, I ha had a vision. <coughs> Excuse me. And I saw this woman. Uh, she went and got this beautiful white paint. And this wall was just, I mean, it was discolored. It, it just didn't look well. And she painted that wall. And man, it just looked awesome. And she came back the next day and she hung her head in discouragement because all the paint had seeped in. Obviously, it needed several other coats. But because she thought that it was just going to stay that way when she initially painted, she just put her head down and went away. I'm here to tell you something. We live in these, this temple of flesh. The Bible says that... Uh, 
in the book of Galatians that we have, uh, that we live in this temple of flesh and we might know that the glory of God is of him and not of us. And these jars of clay. And I tell you what, you got to put a lot of paint on. you got to put a lot of word in you to make this work. Someone says, well, I, I don't want to hear that. But, but I'm here to tell you this. It takes a commitment. You've got to be immersed in this. But why wouldn't you want to be immersed when the glory is so great? When you enter into the revelation of your identity and walk in it, there's nothing like it. You couldn't have dreamed of anything so great. So again, we start out with the Word of God. Second, we understand that by the blood of Jesus, and only by the blood of Jesus, have we been made children of God. It doesn't come as a result of you being religious. It comes one way, through unmerited favor by grace, by the sacrifice, mm. the sin offering, Jesus becoming the sin offering, Romans 8, 6. Glory to God. But we need to understand the new birth. Man, when, when you're born again, in a moment's time, you went from a being of virtually infinite evil to a being of literally becoming a child of the living God. John 1, 12. To as many as received him, to them he gave the power, the right, to become children of the living God. And the Holy Spirit... 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that, that raised Jesus from the dead. Glory to God. That, that caused Jesus to be in the womb of Mary. Hallelujah. Supernaturally. That, that <clears throat> helped them live that perfect life. That raised them from the dead. That created the earth. Is in you. That he might infuse the life of Jesus into you. That you might walk according to his image. Someone says, that's a little too much. Can I tell you something? The gospel is too much for your flesh. It's too much for this puny mind. Your natural mind is good, but it's nothing but refined dirt. It's to be a vehicle of the mind of your spirit. Glory to God. Woo! And through the name of Jesus, we enter into victory. Now, we don't deny that there's battle. <clears throat> Galatians 4.1 the Bible says that, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he is Lord of all. Meaning that you have to enter in to the revelation of your identity. You need to enter in through, through studying the Word of God, through immersing yourself in the Word of God, in the presence of God, the voice of God, fivefold ministry to enter into your true identity. Yeah, there's a battle. Revelations 12. It says, man, when the baby was born, the enemy came against it. Man, when you're born again, he will do everything he can to negate, to minimize your identity. Now, I shared in part on what we call solical imprints. And I want to elaborate on this <clears throat> at the beginning of our discourse today. An imprint <clears throat> is something that it's a word that's spoken to you or an experience that you have that really penetrates your heart. It's a go-to. For example, if it's good, uh, you know, there are good solical imprints. It's, it's just when something just, it enters your mind in a way that stays there. It, it really, it registers on your emotions. It can be good or bad. <clears throat> I mean, you can think of right now probably things that, experience that changed your life. 
It may just be something that believed in you when you didn't even believe in yourself. I'll never forget, you know, being in the, I shared this prior, but it's because it's a go-to for me. My dad was a tough guy. I mean, five foot eight, but about 260 pounds, a sergeant in Korea when he was 18 years old. And uh, one time I, I was in trouble. I mean, I was in a police station, you know, and uh, got in a lot of trouble. Hurt people, hurt people. Man, I'm watching my mom die, man. I mean, it, it's just from complications from full-fledged spinal bifida. I mean, it was a miracle that she had me, the Western Pennsylvania Spinal Bifida Association, which my one daughter worked for in the summer, so they never knew of anybody <clears throat> in her condition that gave birth because the pressure on your spine from carrying the baby just causes your vertebrae just to bust, man, when, when you have spinal bifida. And they wanted to abort back in the 1950s, but she refused. Man, she had 19 back operations after having me. And uh, the spinal bifida just ex accentuated. And I'll I, I tell you what, I, I was just a mess. Never heard of Jesus. And, and I, I was in trouble all the time. I remember going to, uh, over 100 miles an hour in a 35-mile-an-hour zone, major police chase in, East, in Pittsburgh. And, and I didn't care. I, I really didn't care. But I was at a police station, and I thought my dad was just going to put me head up against a wall. And he said, you know, he just put his arms around me. He said, I understand. That was a, see, that imprinted on me. It imprinted on me. I'll never forget my aunt, Aunt Sis, my mother's older sister. She had a nervous breakdown. And she's a beautiful woman, but, man, I'll be honest with you, I went down to help my uncle paint a room in his house. He basically, he just wanted me to help him so he could give me some money and, and to help me. I was about 16 and uh, in Wilkinsburg, East, East Pittsburgh. And uh, I'll never forget, he was a very handsome man, tough Italian man, uh, John San Marco. And uh, she was a mess. She's hurting, man. She can't even hold a teacup. And I will never forget. And I'm going to start crying even as I think of this. See, when you're imprinted with something in your mind that affects you mentally, emotionally, he looked at her like she was a queen. I mean, she's struggling. She's in the bathroom. She can't even get dressed. I caught his eyes. There was a glimmer in his eyes that said, you're amazing. And you know, she come out of it and entered into being who she was because he lifted her up. I never forgot it. I can still see his eyes. I see. I can see my mama's eyes. Spinal bifida in bed, bedridden, bed sores, man, where you can see through her. And she looked at me with her big brown eyes and said, "You know, so I just want a commitment from you. You're not going there into drugs and this and that." And it imprinted me. It's, you can have bad imprints, man. I, I remember when I messed up. I was supposed to share the gospel with this kid, one of my best friends. Freshman in college, just a year old in the Lord. And man, I saw him walking up the street. Fear gripped me. Inability gripped me. See, instead of being who I was, I entered into being somebody who I was not. You have to understand how important this teaching is. And, and I never shared the gospel with him. That was on a Friday night. The next week, the next Friday, man, he was where he shouldn't have been. He fell asleep at an apartment where he shouldn't have been. So they put kerosene all around him, him and Anna's friend, and they're burned up, man. 
Someone says, well, he, he knew I was saved. Maybe, maybe he got saved. I don't know. It haunts me. Not in a, and not in a bad way anymore. Not under condemnation, but it's like, why? Why? I, I mean, my mom, man, seeing her go through what she went through, it, it gets imprinted on your mind. But God can take away. Here's what I want you to see. God can take away the wrong imprints. According to Ephesians 5, 26, through the washing of the water of the word, and glory to God, he can give you good imprints. Man, you might be imprinted wrong in the context of your spouse committed adultery against you. Man, I, I, I was with, uh, or, or you were unfaithful. You hurt somebody and you can't get it back. Uh, I was with somebody and they had post-traumatic stress disorder and they're in Vietnam and they're sharing with me that uh, they hesitated. There was, uh, I, I, they're under enemy fire and uh, there was a, uh, a guy that got shot and he went to, he hesitated, he, he, you know, and rather than just grabbing him out of the line of fire and dragging him to safety, he hesitated and the guy got shot again. Thankfully, he didn't die. But he said, you know what? That's, in, that's been in my mind. And he said this to me, how cowardly I was. I said, you weren't a coward, you just didn't know what to do. You froze. Just for a minute. But you did drag him to safety, even though he got shot again. He said, that's imprinted on my mind. It's imprinted on my emotions. It's affected my body. And before I counseled him, he said he was, uh, he, that was when he was 19, when he went to Vietnam, he come back at, at 20. For 30 years, I, it was 50 years when I started talking to him. But he got free. He got free. But what I'm saying is this. So look imprints. Man, it's abandonment. You know, you felt abandoned by, uh, 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 you know, a mom or a dad. You, you, there's a hundred different things. They will cause you to be bound and not be free. And we're going to look at this more in depth today. Uh, 2 Chronicles 20, go there with me. We've looked at this prior, but I want to accentuate some things. And then we're, You think we entered into provision last session? Uh, hold your head on. Hold your head on this session. Glory to God. Amen. 2 Chronicles 20, it says, When evil comes on us, the sword... Judgment, sickness, and financial lack. We stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house. Cry unto thee in our affliction. You are here, help and deliver. I'll be honest, so many Christians don't know what's evil and what's good. A lot of Christians think that sickness is good. To teach them. I'm going to tell you something. If God's not big enough to teach you without getting you sick, he's not real big at all. I had a well-known minister of the gospel. and He was struggling a little bit. And I said, what's wrong? He said, I don't know. He said, I, I just can't forgive my dad. And he, When he was younger, about just four and a half years old, five years old, his, he was around the stove and his, and his dad put his hand on the hot stove to teach him. He said, I, I, I said, who, who with a, that's not insane would do something like that? I'm going to tell you something. God is good and God is great. He does not have to put your hand on a hot stove to teach you what's right and wrong. The sword is when the devil comes in, bang, and he just takes dominion over you because you're not ready to take dominion over him. 
But you need to understand, there's no voice in God. You will take dominion over the devil who's come to kill, rob, and destroy, or he will take dominion over you. And the church has not taught it or preached it. It's starting to be taught. This is not a game, man. You need to protect yourself for seeing who you are. And because of who you are, by the grace of God, you're untouchable, according to 1 John 5, 18 and Luke 10, 19. Glory to God. Judgment. See, judgment is good. I mean, God's not a fool, but his mercy supersedes judgment. Someone came up to me one time and they said, you know what? You're going to reap everything you sow. And I said, if we reaped everything we sow, we'd all be dead. That's merciful. There's times you think it's humble to say, you know, I'm going to pay for my sin. I was just with a, with a man yesterday. Man, he had a DUI and he, thank God the person didn't die, but they got hurt in a wreck. And he said, you know what? I'm going to have cancer. He's declaring the pay for my sin. I said, I guess the blood of Jesus wasn't good enough. You have to add to it, huh? Receive the mercy of Jesus. But don't take it lightly. Samson received mercy when he entered into sexual sin the first time. The second time he lost his eyes. Mercy is good, but so is the judgment of God. But see, mercy supersedes judgment. That's what the context is here. Sickness, financial life. Those are all things to destroy your identity. Jesus. Go with me to 1 John 3, 8 and 9. Glory to God. Again, we're summarizing, but we're accentuating what we've gone over. 1 John chapter 3. Glory to God. Verses 8 and 9. The Bible says this. He that uh, consistently commits sin is of the devil. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Then it goes on to saying what these works were. It says, who is born of God cannot commit sin. For the seed of God, the DNA of God, the Amplified says the divine sperm, the principle of life, remains permanently within him and he cannot enter into sin because he is born begotten of God. If you have the DNA of God, you don't have anything to sin with. Then someone says, how do I sin? Well, you sin through your soul. Man, for letting your spirit be defiled by letting your spirit uh, be covered up to where it is virtually useless. So instead of the real you who has the faith of God, the real you which has the love of God, the real you which has a hunger for God, the real you which is satisfied with the presence of God and doesn't need the garbage of the world, is now negated and now your flesh is out in front of your spirit. And man, you end up living like a dog. Because your flesh will enter into what feels good. And he doesn't care how he gets it. Someone says, that's strong. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? That's why 80% of men in the USA struggle with pornography and the, and the percentage for women gets higher and higher every day. That's why drugs are so prevalent. Because, see, Jesus isn't satisfying Christians. We know he doesn't satisfy the unsaved because they don't have a spirit to be satisfied with. So they're going to live like dogs. Yeah, the average person, yeah, they're going to live like a dog. They're going to do what they can get away with. They're going to do the weed 
They're going to do poured in wheat. Yeah, for real. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And then some of them are going to be good dogs because they're religious. But they're still a dog because when you think that your religious works are going to cause you to have a relationship with God, you're still a dog because you're deceived. You're just a religious dog. You say, I don't like hearing that. I'm here to tell you something. The religious person will suffer in hell to a greater degree than the prostitute. Because at least the prostitute knows that she's not right with God and isn't trying to exalt her works above the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to play church. I'm here to try to get you to be the church. I'm not against anybody, but I am against religion in the context of someone trying to exalt through their religious activity, their works above the need for grace, the blood that was shed for them. Amen. I told you this is going to be strong. It's going to get stronger. Glory to God. All right. All right. So 1 John 3, 9. This is amazing. Listen to me. If you get, get, get this right now. You are not a child of God figuratively. You are not the righteousness of God just in an imputed fashion. You are a literal child of God because you have the DNA, the life of God in you through the blood of Jesus, through the new birth by the power of the Holy Ghost. Man, Genesis 5, 3. The Bible says this, even as Seth was made in the image of Adam, Adam was made in the image of God. Wow. Luke 3.38 gives the genealogy of every person, man, and you know, generationally, and ends up with this, Adam, the son of God. No, he's not the only begotten son of God. You're not the only begotten son of God. But Jesus said this, He's the firstborn among many brothers. You mean that you're telling me I'm the brother of Jesus? He's your God. But in the context of you being born by his blood in his image, even as God is your father who's given you the image, you have the image of the son of the living God. See, most people, they downgrade it, they minimize it, they're afraid to say it. I'm going to shout it. You are literally a child of the living God. And this idea that somehow you have imputed righteousness and you're really not righteousness is a disgrace and belittles and degrades the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood is not something that just covers you. It's something that has negated the evil within you and caused the DNA of God, according to scripture we just read, to be who you are. Galatians 2.20, 1 John 3.8.9, it goes on to say, 1 John 5.3, man, the commandments of God are hard to keep. Because the faith of God is in you. The love of God is in you. The life of God. To the new birth. To the Holy Ghost. Infusion power. And the idea, even the very, that the blood would cover your sinfulness. As opposed to negating your sinfulness. And bringing forth. The image of God is so wrong. And that's why so many people never enter who, into who they are. Mm. Glory to God. Listen to me. We went over Deuteronomy 34, 9. And we saw the principle of grace 
one of the greatest types of grace in the Word of God, where Moses sowed to being, I mean, profoundly wise. And then by the laying on of hands, every iota of the wisdom that Moses paid an incredible price to enter into, now is in Joshua when he never sowed to it except by being associated with Moses. Wow. That is amazing. See, it wasn't imputed wisdom. It was literally the wisdom of Moses now being realized in who he was. We looked at 2 Kings 2.9. Most people think Elijah asked for a double portion of the anointing on Elijah. No. A thousand times no. He asked for a double portion of his heart that caused the anointing to be upon him. He entered in to the heart of Elijah that caused Elijah to pay a price. Seek God in a profound fashion. Love God without reservation or hesitation. Being one of the greatest men of God that ever lived. He got his, a double portion of his heart. What did you get when you accepted Christ? The Bible says you received his heart. The heart of Jesus is a son. We looked at that in depth last session. You just didn't receive a pattern to follow. You didn't receive a religious book to try to duplicate. You received the heart of the author of the book. You received his very being. This is your identity. Listen to me. We're going to get strong on this. <clears throat> Glory to God. Colossians 1.27 says that Christ is in you. The hope of glory. The very desires that Jesus had to be intimate with the Father. To please the Father. That desire's in you. To me, the two greatest things that you can receive from the heart of Jesus Christ is the desires that he had because what you desire, God will always fulfill. Because Proverbs 13, 12 says, a desire unfulfilled is very, very bitter. But the desire fulfilled is like eating of the tree of life. But listen to me. You received the being of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. So the glory of God, the presence of God, the voice of God, the love of God, Him as your Father, it satisfies you. It causes you to love Him. It's amazing. I'm going to be honest with you. Take a dog. Take a pig. Man, if, if you had the being a makeup of a pig, guess what? I don't care how much they dressed you up. I don't care if they put a tie on you in a tuxedo. You're still pigging. And when there's mud, you're going to jump in that mud. I tell you, the evil nature is worse than having the nature of a pig. 
it will murder. The Bible says in John 10, 10. Because see, before you were saved, you had the being of your father, the devil. That's what Jesus said. And he's a murderer from the beginning. Now by the blood, you have the being, the heart of the son of the living God. That's your identity. Woo! Glory to Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin, that you might become the righteousness of God. That he might become, his life might become your life. All right. Glory to God. And see, this is the whole deal where Satan comes in. Now listen very closely, because now we're going to add on to what we just accentuated in the context of sharing, uh, summarizing. Here's where the battle is. The devil will do everything he can to dissuade you, to deceive you regarding who you are. The Romans 7 teaching. The idea that, you, that the things you want to do, you can't do. The things you don't want to do, you do. Isn't that freedom? That, that is nothing but religion. A man outside of Christ. So why would you want to put that man on when it's not, not Christ? It's, it's nuts. It's insanity. Listen to me how Satan works in the context of battle. Go with me to Matthew 4.4. 4. We just said Romans 7 because of deception. Let's go to Matthew 4.4. 4. This is how Satan came against trying to get Jesus to minimize, negate his identity. Matthew 4.4. 4. Well, Matthew 4.3. The tempter came to Jesus and said, if you be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Jesus answered, said, it is written. Remember, we started out with the word. Men should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Immediate need. There are times, man, when there's pain in your body, when you messed up and you feel condemned, when you hurt God, you hurt yourself, you hurt your child by yelling at him. You got an immediate need. Man, they're coming to repossess your car. And the only thing you have to do, see, Satan's after your birthright, is say maybe in this whole thing about being a child of God, being so intimate with God, like, isn't for real because why am I going through all of this? And you want to, he wants you to minimize. He wants you to give up your identity. Yeah, he'll suffice you. You don't give in. Immediate, there's times there's immediate these outward appearances. Then there's time with those solical imprints. Matthew 14, Peter's walking on the water, man. I tell you what, you're made to be a water walker. When every time you walk on the word, you're a water walker. But what happens? He's in, his mind is imprinted with the natural. Every time the wind blows this way, every time it rains this way, people die. So he enters in to exchanging his identity as a child of God, walking on the water by the word of God, to being a mere man, subjected to the natural elements according to what he's been imprinted with on his mind. You don't go against, I mean, you don't be unwise. I mean, if there's a red light, you stop. 
But man, when Jesus says the walk on the water, walk. When Jesus says, you know what? All is well, and you're fighting the battle, all is well. Do you understand? Man, the second temptation was deception. Throw yourself off, you know, the temple. He'll protect you. Well, he, Satan left that part of the verse. He'll protect you in your normal activity, in all your ways. He, now, you, don't be deceived. Don't give up your identity and refer deception. And lastly, here's the deal. He says, if you worship me, I'll give you everything. What's he saying? Exchange your identity. Notice with all of these, he said, if you are the son of God. If you are the Son of God, then why are you fighting sickness? If you are the Son of God, why are you struggling with the familiar sin? If you are a child of the living God, how, how come you yelled at your kids? If you are a child of God, then how come what you're believing doesn't seem to be coming to pass? If you've got favor with God, how come? Never, ever, ever, ever exchange your identity. By exchanging and by changing your confession. I'm gonna say it again. Never exchange your identity regarding who you are by changing your confession. That all is well. By stripes I am healed. I do have the favor of God, and accordingly, I'm blessed by God. I can do the works of God. I'm a soul winner. I lay hands on the sick and they recover. I am somebody that will have my desires fulfilled. God will take what the enemies meant and for evil, and he will use it for good, even when I didn't, even when I lost the battle. Thank you, Jesus. All right. See, all these things are to get you down so the natural is appealing. I'm going to say that again. They kept wanting to return to Egypt, even though Egypt was a cesspool. Why did they want to return to Egypt? When things got hard. But instead of fighting for their identity, they wanted to go back to a former identity because, see, in their former identity, at least they had something to eat. In your former identity, you didn't have to put up with certain things. In your former identity, you could smoke all the weed you want when you felt bad. In your former identity, you, you know, you could enter into, uh, you know, the, the drinking and the alcohol. You could enter into the pornography. You could enter into the promiscuity. You could enter into the, the filthy jokes. You could enter into satisfying your flesh. You could enter into doing this and doing that. The flesh is only appealing when you get out of the spirit because of a lack of, of fighting for your identity. When you give up who you are through your confession, through sin, through feeling sorry for yourself, I guarantee you, here's what happens. Uh, let me just give you this example. Man, you got a good marriage. Your, your wife's a good person. Your husband's a good person. When you don't see who they are to you through the eyes of Jesus Christ, the grass will look greener on the other side of the fence. When your spouse is going through a hard time, instead of seeing it's an opportunity to minister to him or her, 
you're going to run to somebody else. You've got to understand. It's all about perceiving who you are. Perceiving who God is to you according to who you are. And perceiving who your spouse is, who your children are. Relationships are. I know this is strong. But you see, every time you enter into a place of doubting your identity because you're in a challenging time is when you're going to be open for the devil to convince you that, I, I, that the identity is not true and it will not be confirmed in your life. Well, how come, you know, this person, you know, is in the world and man, they, they're married with kids and, and, and I'm a Christian and I'm not yet married. And it's a desire of my heart. Well, isn't that what the Psalms are all about? David said it looks like the wicked prosper and, 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 and those under covenant aren't. But what does he say? Hope thou in God. God will come through. But more importantly than that, when you're a child of the living God, how much do you have in him being your father, your groom, your bride, glory to God, your life, your love? Mm, Jesus, all right. I know this is strong. I'm here to tell you something. Before we enter into, I call it ultra provision, I want you to see something. The Bible says in the last days, there's going to be a great falling away. I believe for Christians who are immersed in Jesus, who are all in, it's going to be the best time of your life. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're not rooted and grounded in what I'm telling you, good's not going to be good enough. You're going to have to be so immersed in Jesus Christ that when the world says you're a fool, when the world says I've got this, 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 and this, and the world says, man, we're going to put you in jail just because of what you believe. When the world says we're going to mock you, we're going to degrade you. <clears throat> We're going to mislabel you. We're going to cause you to be misperceived, persecuted, cast down. And you say, make my day. Because Jesus Christ overcame. He overcame you. And I'm going to do the same with flying killers. And you're going to bow your knee to Jesus. And I'm certainly not going to bow my knee to you. The world's going to try to get you to conform to their image. An image. Now listen to me. I'm going to say something. Some of you, uh, uh, well, you're already with you, so most likely you won't run. They want you to bow to the image of a bastard. What's a bastard? Somebody that's illegitimate. In reality, there are no bastards. Every person that's ever been born has been born knowing that God from the foundations of the earth before the earth was made he knew who you were going to be you are blessed every baby that's born is blessed with a destiny to be conformed to the image of Jesus but they're going to call you illegitimate because you're not like them 
And I'm going to tell you this. When you're not like them is when you really are legitimate in the kingdom of God. Isaiah 5 says in the last days that we're entering in, evil will become as good. Good is going to look like evil. One of my good friends was at a convention. He was an insurance agent, or head of an insurance agency. And one guy comes up and says, I'm on my fourth wife. Another guy says, I'm on my third wife. I'm going to try to catch up with you. They were playing racquetball in between, you know, session. And there's a young man there, and he just was silent. My friend looked up, and he said, I'm going to tell you something now. I'm on my first wife, and by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be my last. And he looked at both of them. He said, both of you are in such bondage. Your kids can't stand to be with you. You live like dogs more than you do humans. But even now, Jesus Christ is reaching out to you. And the young man wept in front of the other, all these, the, the, these two men that were bragging. And he said, you know what? I almost was buying into your lie. But I want to recommit my life to Jesus. Will you stand up like that man stood up? Or will you enter in to the spirit of evil. See, it's not who you are, but it's who you will become if you do not stand up for who you are. I'm going to say that again. It's not who you are, but it's who you will become if you do not stand up for who you are. You need to get through the word washed from imprints that would come up and and trigger you and cause you to go the wrong way. You need to enter in to letting Jesus Christ imprint you with who he is to you and who you really are. All right. Go with me to John 17, 1. <clears throat> Glory to Jesus. I don't know how far we're going to get. John 17, 1. <clears throat> I've looked at this prior, but now I said we're going to accentuate it. Oh, man, I got some, Lord Jesus. John 17, 1, these words spoke Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, this is when he's in Gethsemane. John 14 to 17 is one discourse. It's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee. I'm just finishing up a book on the spirit of glorification. What's it mean? Very simply, it follows a, one of the main uh, principles of physics. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Now here's Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, getting ready to be slain, to enter into infinite suffering, becoming sin, crucified. And he says this, and this amazes me. He says, Father, I need you. To touch me. And he says, glorify thy son. Let's go to verse 5, so, and then we'll explain it more. And he says, now, O Father, glorify thou me with thy own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the worlds were. He's about to enter into being the sin offering. 
entering into suffering that is incomprehensible in the natural. And he's saying, you know what, Father? I need you to touch me. I need you to cause your glory of your being to penetrate me, flow through me like on the Mount of Transfiguration. Except I needed to be so great that it will be commensurate with the strength I need to endure being the, the sin offering. Jesus needed to be filled with the Spirit of God in a way that was commensurate with what he faced. Glorification, uh, and we have such little time, is when God takes, obviously he offers praise, glorifies me. That's something different. That, that, that's glorification akin to worship. That's not what we're talking about. Glorification in this context, just like unity can, can mean the body of Christ being unified, or, or oneness can be the, you know, the, the body of Christ being unified, or, or it can mean intimacy in, in John 17, 21, 11, 20, and 21. Glorification is when God literally manifests through revelation through presence, through his voice. He so gives of himself unto you that it so strengthens you, loves you, that you are ready for anything. Here's what I want to get across to you. This is how to be the real you. Please listen to me. Every day, You've got to experience God in a profound way so you can stand against the enemy who would try to take your identity and you will enter into your identity and you will take his head. Listen, let me give you an example. Years ago, we were out in campus ministry, my wife and I. <clears throat> we started a meeting at 8 o'clock on Friday night and the house that it was just filled with college students. And the glory of Jesus came in a way for four and a half hours. He just had your hands up like this, and so did I. The glory of God, the presence of God was so amazing that nobody, I mean, you wept, you worshipped, you just cried out for Thanksgiving for four and a half hours. And I said, let's just send this glory to the unsaved because the glory of God is tangible, perceivable. And right away, God gave me a, 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 a residence hall and, and a number of where a student was staying. I didn't know the student. I just said 382, I think it was Patterson. And, and a couple guys said, well, you have to understand it's one in the morning now. We're going to go run. And we're going to talk. I said, well, maybe wait till tomorrow. He said, no, we're going to go now. Bang, bang, bang. They knock on his door. Well, first what happened is they said, uh, it only goes up to 368. And the devil said, see, you can't hear from God. 
And I said, all I know, and I'll knock on that door. But here's what's interesting. He had 382 inscribed with a knife on his door. Turned out he was a baseball player, and that was his batting average. Bang, bang, bang. He answered the door. They said, you know what? Jesus, Jesus came to us tonight, and he spoke to your number. He said, what are you talking about? They began to share the awesomeness of Jesus. The kid accepted Christ. You see, you have to experience God daily to walk daily in your identity. Oh, Jesus, I could share so many examples like that. We need to experience Jesus. You say, well, see, here's the whole deal. To what degree can you experience Jesus? I'm going to ask you this a question right now. You need to experience Jesus commensurate with walking with Jesus. To what degree can you experience Jesus? I believe the Bible teaches emphatically that you can experience Jesus to the degree that Jesus experienced the Father when he was on the earth. John 6.57 says, even as I eat of the Father and live, so he that eats of me, eats of my word, he eats of my presence, eats of my voice, will live like I lived when I was on the earth. You can eat of the Father like Jesus ate of the Father. You say, that's hard for me to comprehend. It shouldn't be. Jesus wants you to know that you can partake of him. You can partake of the Father. Isn't that what John 17 is all about? How many times have I gone over John 17, 26? <clears throat> it's amazing. Well, well, let's just start with John. i got to say, see, i got to go over these again. L listen to me. Listen to me. I, I could give you so many examples. My times are, I, I could share of regular people. Even people that were so messed up and hell's angels and six DUIs because I think of a young man right now. Man who tried to kill himself in prison because he's been sexually abused hundreds of times. He didn't have an identity. And someone gave him some teachings like I'm giving you. And he caught me from prison. He said, is this for real? I said, son, you are ordained. You're predestined as everybody on this earth is to be literally a child of the living God. I explained to him the gospel. He accepted Christ. All of the shame, the hurt, the destruction from the abuse began to be washed away through the word and the presence. He's on fire for Jesus. And you can't talk him out of who he is. I could give you a hundred examples like that right off the top of my head. I'm one of them. And admit, you are too, but you need to enter in fully and so do I. To what degree can you enter in? Well, John 17, 11 says, I'm no more in the world. Jesus is talking about these are in the world. 
I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep them in thy own name, the name which you have given me, that they might be one with us, even as I am one with you, Father. Let's keep reading. John 17, 21, that they all might be one. We're talking about intimacy. Even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may know that thou sent me. Can I tell you something? You can share the four spiritual laws until you can't talk. But when you, and, and it, it'll have minimal success. The word will bear fruit of itself. But when you enter in to oneness with God Almighty, even as the Father and the Son are one, the Son and the Spirit are one, someone says, what, what are you talking about? I'm talking about being so close to the Father, so close, that there's a oneness between you. And it's the same oneness that exists between the Father and the Son. How do you get it? By understanding you're made to get it because you're a son. Now listen to this. Listen to it. The glory that you've given me, Jesus said, I've given to them that they might be one with us even as we're one with each other. And then it goes on to say in John 17, 23, that God wants you to know that he loves you as much as he loves his only begotten son. John 15, Jesus said he wanted you to know that even as he loves the Father, he loves you. You say that, this is crazy. It's crazy good. It's the gospel. But what's it mean? When it says, I've given you my glory. Remember we started off by Jesus saying, glorify me? Here's what it means to be given the glory of John 17, 22. It means this. That the same way I've shared this, but I'm going to share, I'm going to yell it. I'm just, it, it not necessarily loud, but yell it in the context of the Holy Ghost. Transformation, transfiguration, translation is how you cultivate identity. Transformation is having the Word of God, the Bible, revealed to you, even as it was revealed to Jesus by the Holy Ghost. Jesus divested himself of his divinity. He didn't have to find out who he was through the witness of the Holy Ghost to the revelation of the word. When you open up this word, I don't care how you feel. I don't care what's going on in your life. You expect it to be 3D. You expect this word to cause you to know of its reality, of who God is, who he is to you. Who you are to him, the truth of the gospel. What you can do, even as it was revealed to Jesus. How can you do the works that Jesus did, John 14, 12, unless you enter into the revelation that Jesus had? But it's by grace. Everything Jesus received was because of his perfection. Everything you received is because of his perfection. That's why you will worship him for eternity. Glory to God. Not like the Mormons teach you can be, came down from heaven. Nobody came down from heaven except Jesus. And you can become greater than Jesus. 
you won't be a zillionth of Jesus in the context of his omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. But you will be one with him relationally in the context of intimacy. John 17, 26. I have declared unto them thy name, meaning he manifested the name. Everything that the Father is, Jesus manifested. He manifested his heart when he raised the dead and healed the sick. He manifests his glory when he caused them to be translated, John 6, 21 in the ship. He manifests the heart of the Father when Peter walked on the water. He manifested when he's taking these men from a place of selfishness to unselfishness to a place of inability to ability. The fruits of the Spirit first, gifts of the Spirit. He said, I've declared thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm going to say right now. Every name that Jesus is, and Jesus is the Word, He is healing. He is the God that lives to manifest His presence to you. He is the God of open relationship. He is the God of protection. He is the God of love. He is the God of mercy. Every name intrinsic to the name of Jesus. Listen to me. And if it doesn't cause you to shout, nothing will. Every name intrinsic to the name of Jesus is who you are. You are the healed because he is the healer. You are beloved because he is the lover of your soul. You are accepted because he accepts you in the beloved. You are strong because he is strength and he's given you that strength. Everything he is, you are because he died to give who he is to you. Again, obviously not being a little God, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipresent, you know, come on, omnipotent. Everything that Jesus is, is who you are. You say, but, but Jesus, every time he prayed, the Father heard him. There you go. Every time you pray, the Father hears you. You, you say, but Jesus raised the dead. Man, almost half a, you know, so many of my friends have raised the dead. I, you know, clinically dead, I had the privilege to raise and beyond. I, you say, but Jesus, he experienced the glory of God and the mind of transfiguration. My friend, let's look at 2 Corinthians 3. This is amazing. Now let's look at Mark 9. This is how you enter into sonship. Now, 2 Corinthians 3 is amazing in 4. The Apostle Paul, who studied the feet of Gamaliel, that's why he, a Pharisee of Pharisees, God could use him to write the Bible like he did through the Holy Ghost. It wasn't Paul that wrote the Bible. It was the Holy Ghost through him. If I have a pen you know, out of my pocket, if I take this marker and I write something, I, you know, uh, uh, it, was, it wasn't the pen that wrote it. It was me, right? Glory to God. 
the Holy Ghost used Paul just like I used that pen. 2 Corinthians 3, Paul takes the most awesome experience that the Jews held precious. It was Moses when he went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. His Transfiguration, Mount Horeb. Forty days, he's in the direct presence of God. He comes back. His face shines with the glory of God. Can you imagine? God says, he spoke to Moses face to face. Openly. And Moses comes down, he doesn't even know that his face is now sh what is in the heart of God regarding his brilliance is now resident in the face of Moses. See, this is glorification. The glory within Almighty God is now literally in the face of Moses. The people can't even look at him because it hurts their eyes. It's like looking into the sun. And the scripture says this, as amazing as that was, it's nothing compared to being a New Testament saint. Because now the glory just doesn't go into a man's face. It goes into the very essence of his born-again spirit and the life of God that was manifested on the face of Moses now indwells you and I. So it's cross that lives in you and not you yourself. He goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 3.18 and all of us, that's you, as with unveiled face because we continue to behold in the word of God. Woo! As in a mirror. The glory of the Lord. Now listen to this. Are constantly, daily, being transfigured into his very own image in ever increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Did you ever read that? I'm going to ask you a question. Jesus asked a lot of questions. How viable is this scripture in your life? Listen to me. I'm going to say a few things. Thank God we have another session, a last session. You got to be all in for this to work. You got to be fanatical. Man, I'm gonna, I'll be straight up with you. When I wake up in the morning, I usually spend two hours in the Word of God and in the presence of God. Man, in between counseling <coughs> sessions, in between what I'm doing, maybe it's yard work, I, I'm quoting the Word of God. But my wife and I go on a trip. We talk about Jesus. We quote scriptures to one another. I pray in, the t in other tongues. I, it's 24-7. I'll be straight up with you. Does that mean I don't watch a baseball game on TV? No, I can watch a baseball game usually while I'm writing a book. But I'm going to tell you something. Pretty much it's 
you said, well, I, I don't want that. Then you, guess what? You, you don't want to enter into who you really are. Because you're not going to be who you really are unless you're immersed in who he really is. I'm going to say it again. You're never going to be who you really are unless you're immersed in who he really is. Man, I, I go to sleep dreaming about raising the dead. When I wake up, I'm dreaming about preaching the gospel. When I get up, I, I immediately get in the word. I, I quote the word and declare the word throughout the day. I preach the gospel throughout the day to, as God leads me. I, I, I just minister to Jesus as much as I can. I, I ask him, is there any song you want me to sing to minister to your heart right now? I, I, and you say, that's crazy. Well, guess what I am? It's crazy good. I, I, you know, I asked Jesus to, I said, Lord, I feel weak, weak right now. And I've just done eight counseling sessions. I'm going to talk to somebody that's suicidal. I'm going to talk to somebody that said, man, they don't like me because their, their wife got saved. And they said they're going to come shoot me. I need your grace. Huh. For real. I, I could, Jesus. It, it's got to be immersion. But it's so good. Man, years ago, I came to the U.S. Open practice rounds out with Jack Nicklaus and, 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 you know, different people like that and Gary Player. And I'll never forget, before they do a practice run, Gary Player would hit two hours on the, on the range. Four hours practice round. Then they could go down and hit two more hours on the range. Why? Because it was a necessity, but because he loved the game. You know, it's amazing, you know, when you're a sports fan, it's okay. You know, you work overtime, it's okay. But when you enter into Jesus, you know, that's just a little much. I could tell you hundreds of people that were nobodies that God made somebodies out of. I mean, I got just a list right here and I don't have time to go into it. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Let me just share this. We're having Bible studies at campus. And I was teaching on being able to, 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 to see the face of God, the face of Jesus, according to Psalm 16 and 17, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and numerous scriptures. I'm not talking about like a face like my face or a face on the wall. Just sensing his presence. And I'll never forget. Every time I talked on it, we began to see more of who we were to God and how we had the privilege to enter into the throne room and behold our God as we worshiped. And God began to come so strong you couldn't fit kids into the house. And there was a young lady there named Heather. And one night she looked up. Her face literally showed with the glory of God. You couldn't even look at her. And she said, I see Jesus. I see the glory. I see the glory. This girl became on fire for God. <sighs> Jesus. 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 There's an acquaintance of mine. Uh, he was in those meetings. I say an acquaintance because of uh, he's in another country and and really have, you know don't 
talked that much with him. But he said, Pastor Michael, he said, let me share something with you. He said, I was in a country where nobody goes to and I'm in jail. This is after he got out of jail. He said, they might kill me. And I looked at him. And he began to weep. And another guy began to run. And I said, what did I do? He said, your face shone with the glory of God. They let him out. They arrest him now and then because he still walks the streets. But they treat him like royalty. Now, I'm not saying that others don't get whipped. I don't know what to tell you. Except this. Who you are is amazing. The glory that Jesus asked for to endure the cross was a measure of the Father that enabled him to adore. Daily he will cause the glory of the Father to be infused into you, experienced by you. And I can't explain it for you. I, I can't explain it, but all I know is what life is about. It's what it means to be a child of God. And, and when it satisfies you, when it's amazingly awesome to you, the things of the world, they're like diamond. God is calling us to see who we are, to cultivate the glory intrinsic to being who we are. So Jesus Christ is everything to us. He's not part of our life. He is our life. In his life, that becomes